got our second Bible reading now, it's in Mark 10. What a privilege it is that we can have, hear God speak to us as his word is read out. So we'll hear from Mark chapter 10. It's on page 1058 of some of the Pew Bibles. It's also up on the screen or you might have it on your own Bible or your own phone. So Mark chapter 10, we'll do verses 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they were have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, good morning again, friends. We're going to be reflecting on that second reading from Mark 10. Uh, Let's join in prayer as we consider this. Heavenly Father, as we come to listen to what you have to teach us, do teach it to us, convict our hearts, and so we pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words of my lips might be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that growing up, being a Christian for, for some time now, that I've found extremely helpful, inspiring uplifting to my own Christian walk has been to read the biographies of Christians before us, to read the biographies and the lives of ordinary Christians, but somehow used by God in extraordinary ways. And this past week, I've been reading the life of the missionary, John Gibson Payton. Now, he's one, if you're not familiar, he's one to know. He started off as a Presbyterian minister from Scotland, sent as a missionary to what is today Vanuatu, and he ended up here in Melbourne as a minister of the Presbyterian Church of Victoria. So in a sense, it's one of ours. And so worth knowing about. But you read of his story, and it really tugs at the heart. He was born in 1824 in a farm cottage southwest of Scotland. And he was born to faithful, devoted parents, parents who would pray for all their children. He attended school up to the age of 12, 
And at the age of 12, he started to learn the trade of his father, which was to manufacture stockings. Now get this, 12 years old, when he was 12, he would wake up and work, start working at 6 a.m., and he would not finish until 10 p.m. That's 12 years old. He'll have two hours off to eat. And do you know what he did as a 12-year-old boy for two hours after eating? He would read his Bible, teach himself Latin, and read theology. I wonder what our 12-year-old boys are doing today. But perhaps the resilience, the fortitude of those young years built in him prepared him for later years in life. When he was in his 20s, he went to Glasgow to study, undertake theology and also medicine. He served in the city of Glasgow for 10 years as a city missionary, and it was a very fruitful ministry, and so many came to faith. But what was tugging at his heart was that he heard that some islands in the South Sea was full of the habitation of violence and untouched by the gospel, the new Hebrides, Hebrides in what is now today Vanuatu. And so this was what he said. He said, I continually heard the wail of the perishing heathen in the South Seas. The Lord kept saying within me, since none better qualified can be got, rise and offer yourself. And so he had his heart tugged. There are these people in the South Seas, the islands there, untouched by the gospel. And so he wanted to set his heart to go. But it wasn't all encouraging because in 1839, two missionaries sent by the London Missionary Society went with the same intention to the South Seas, to those islands. And what happened to them? Well, they were killed and eaten by cannibals on the island only minutes after going ashore. Only minutes. It took them months to get there. Makes you think, was it worthwhile? And so when John Payton was considering, I want to go there as well, he received a fair bit of criticism from even respected elders. And a certain Mr. Dixon said, the cannibals, they will, be, they will eat you. You'll be eaten by the cannibals. And this was what Payton said. He said, Mr. Dixon... You are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And so his heart was set on going. And so in 1858, at 33 years of age, he sailed with his newly married wife, Mary, married for only 14 days. This was, in a sense, their honeymoon from Scotland to the new Hebrides. That's how you pronounce it. So the South Seas. He arrived in November of 58, but their stay was... Tragic and short, brief, because his wife Mary died only a few months after arriving from malaria and pneumonia. She was only 19 years, newlyweds. And shortly after, she was followed by the death of their son Peter. He was only 36 of age. Now you must think, 
I thought I was doing the Lord's service. I went to these South Sea Islands to try to serve the Lord, to bring the gospel there. Now I've lost my wife and my newborn son. So he dug the grave with his two hands, buried them in next to, close to the house he built. And of course he was stricken by grief. And he did wonder whether he should have stayed back in Glasgow, where his ministry was flourishing. It was fruitful. And so he said this. He said, I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned, let alone and in sorrowful circumstances, but feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything he does or permits. I look up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. That was how he was resolved after losing wife and son. And so he continued to serve in his missionary efforts. He was there for several years, went back to Scotland, Australia as well, and went back to serve there for the next few decades. Faced dangers. Many attempted at his life. Got sick many times. Fever, illness. And of course there is so much more to his story. He's written an autobiography. And when you read it, it really tugs at your heart. But my question for us this morning, to us all, is, was John Payton a different kind of Christian to us here today, 2024? Was he a different kind? What was it about him that meant that even when things went wrong, I'm not going to throw in the towel, he said. I'm going to press on. And he said, I'll serve our blessed Lord Jesus so that I may be ready at his call for death and eternity. So what was it about his faith that meant that he would do such a thing? And then the question to us is, what is it about our faith that might prevent us from doing such a thing? Was he a different kind of Christian? You see, for Peyton, he was really just learning from his own saviour. He was following in the footsteps of Jesus himself. You see, his heart was set on Jesus, to be like Jesus. And what was the heart of Jesus set on? Well, that's what we find in this passage in Mark 10. You see, what was on the heart of Jesus? What was in focus for him? It was the cross. It was the cross, not the crown. Which was why when Jesus was tempted in the desert... For 40 days by Satan, Satan offered him the crown. Bow down to me, you can have it all, you can have the crown. But Jesus would not. You see, there is no crown without the cross. You cannot bypass the cross. And so here in this passage, you read, he was set on the cross, set for Jerusalem. Look at verse 33 with me. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. Now, that's worth just pausing to reflect on a little bit. The, the self-designation that Jesus favours most was the Son of Man. Now, that was not speaking about the humanity of Jesus, Son of Man, means that he's human, not exactly. In fact, Jesus was picking up a figure that was described in Daniel chapter 7, which was not a, a merely human figure, but a divine figure the one who is given all power and authority over the entire universe. God will pass it to one like the Son of Man, 
which means it's the divine figure, the one who will rule over all. And so Jesus says, I am that one who will rule over all. And what will happen? The Son of Man, verse 33, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And so here we're talking about the highest authority in the entire universe, the one who rules over all. And what will happen? Condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles. Now, perhaps for us to appreciate how shocking that would have been, it might be worth us just understanding a bit of the historical context. You see, for, for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, especially in the Old Testament, their greatest fear was if they were to fall into the hands of Gentiles, if they were to be subjugated to foreign kingdoms, because it meant then that they were clearly under the judgment of God. And so, the exile to Babylon, it broke their spirits. It showed that they were under the judgment of God. They were handed over to the Gentiles. It was also why King David, towards the latter part of his life, he did something foolish. Remember that story when he took a census? It didn't seem like very much, but what it showed was that his trust was in the strength of his army, the strength and power of his military instead of God. And then what did God do? What did God say? Well, he was going to be punished, and he got to pick three options. The first one, you can pick from three years of famine. The second option was three months of being handed over to the Gentiles, of losing in battle to them. And the third one, three days of plague under the sword of the Lord. Which did he pick, if you remember that story? You see, for David, he rather have 70,000 of his men die by the plague at the hand of God rather than fall into the hands of the Gentiles. That is bad. But yet here, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I will fall into the hands of the Gentiles. And then verse 34, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You see, on Jesus' heart, in focus was the cross, not the crown. Though, of course, we know the cross was, in fact, his coronation. Not a crown, a jewel crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. And why did he do that? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame. Why? For our salvation. But it was the same cross that shaped John Payton. Even before he turned 12, this was what he said. He said, I had given my soul to God and was resolved to aim at being a missionary of the cross or a minister of the gospel. Before he turned 12, he said that. You see, Peyton was just that type of Christian who had the cross in focus. Now look back here at Mark 10. What were the disciples of Jesus like? What was on their heart? Well, it was the complete opposite. They wanted the crown, not the cross. They wanted status, not service. Look at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, who asked? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. 
Now, perhaps we have to try to appreciate a little bit how sensitive or insensitive they were. I mean, Jesus just said, I am about to die. And so here it's a bit like sons trying to divide up the inheritance. Well, at least give us something. Let us sit at the right or the left. And then what did Jesus say? Well, in effect, Jesus was saying, you have no idea what you're asking. And why did Jesus say that? Well, it's because they had no understanding at all of what it meant for Jesus to be glorified. They thought glory meant the crown, the place of honor, prestige. That's what we want. They thought it's the position, the status, and not service. And it's why Jesus goes on to ask them, look at verse 38 now. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? That is, Jesus is saying to his two disciples, will you experience what I will experience? Are you prepared for that? You see, to drink the cup of God in the Old Testament picks up the image of, it's in fact the image of the judgment of God. So to drink it is to fall under the wrath of God, to be judged by God, and to be baptized did not mean you get dunked in water. You see, for Jesus, by this point, he was already baptized in the Jordan River. He couldn't mean that. You see, to be baptized, the picture is to be engulfed, to be overwhelmed, to be swamped in death. Jesus was referring, by this baptism, to his own death, to his crucifixion. Which is why when we are baptized today, what is in fact taking place? It is our union in the death of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes to his disciples, James and John. Are you sure you want to go where I go? Are you really prepared for that? And what did they say? We can. We can. Maybe foolishly, but of course they spoke better than they knew. Because one day they will suffer. It will be the cross they will carry. And their lives will be poured out in service. Because what happened to James, if you know, in the book of Acts. James the Apostle, he was in fact put to the sword by Herod. Only 11 years later, he was the first apostle to be martyred. And John the Apostle, what happened to him? Well, he was banished by the Roman Emperor to the island of Patmos and left there to die to his old age. And this was what John Payton knew. He gave his life to the message of the cross. It meant a baptism. It meant drinking the cup, death threats, illness, losing Mary, his son. Five years later, he did remarry to Margaret. They had ten children. Four of those died in infancy. But he pressed on. And eventually, there were lots of fruits from his ministry. And later in life, Peyton wrote this. He wrote... That were the new Hebrides, baptized with the blood of martyrs. And Christ thereby told the whole Christian world that he claimed these islands as his own. You see, it's cross, not crown. It's about service, not status. And so we come back to this story. When Jesus then spoke about the left and right, What was he referring to? The left and right when he entered his glory. And so verse 40, To sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those 
for whom they have been prepared. But when was Jesus glorified? When did he enter his glory? It was the cross. Who were on the left and right of Jesus? They were the two thieves whom God had prepared. And so the disciples were, in a sense, asking for that position on the left and right of Jesus at the crucifixion. They did not know. But what about the other disciples? Well, they weren't any better. Look at verse 41 now. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They became mad, not because they thought they were insensitive, but because they thought they got in before us. We missed out. It was said out of jealousy. You see, what the disciples desired is really no different today in our world and even in the church. Listen to the language that we use. We have to get ahead in the world. You have to be on top. You have to move up in the world. You can't be down the bottom, be trampled upon. That's the language of our world, isn't it? But Jesus turns the world's paradigm upside down. He says, the way up is down. You want to go higher? It's to go lower. You want to be first? It's to be last. In fact, you want to live It's to die. And so when you die, you live. Greatness is not seen in status and prestige. It's seen in service and humility. And so in this very famous passage, verse verse 42 to 45 onwards, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You want greatness? It's not saying don't pursue greatness, but you want greatness, this is what it looks like. It's to go down, it's to go lower, it's to be last, it's to die. The greatest act of greatness is the greatest act of service. And the greatest act of service was the death of Christ. And so verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The King of kings became the servant of all. The Master washes the servant's feet. The life giver gave his life. Jesus drank the cup to its very dregs. His life was poured out, and he did so. Why? For our salvation. So that we can know today where our ultimate home is, the glory of heaven, being with our Father and the saints for all eternity, part of the great multitude. You see, the greatness of Jesus was not that he can command millions to obey him, but his greatness is that he serves millions. Cross and service, not crown and status. That must be reflected in every true disciple of Jesus. And so let me ask you then, in light of this passage, what does it mean for us today in this church, disciples in 2024? Because today we're talking about and reflecting on and thinking about serving. And the encouragement today is, of course, well, we want to be serving. 
But there are some principles in this passage that has to shape the way we think about serving. You see, being a Christian, going to church, just like what we've all done this morning, is not primarily about my service at all. It's not primarily about us and what we can offer God, how we serve. That is not first. First and foremost, we need to come remembering, I am one who is served by my king first. I am one who is served by my king first. You see, because to get that wrong, to think that I'm here to serve, to get my hands sturdy, to be involved in the work of the Lord, is to put myself at the center of what God is doing. But that is not right. The very center of what God is doing is what Christ has done. We cannot get the order wrong. Before we do any serving at all, we have to know in our hearts, I'm one who is served by my king first. You see, it's very easy for us Christians today when we are busy in life and busy in church and busy with serving. It's especially difficult and often seen, especially amongst those who carry a significant responsibility. And there is a temptation there, a temptation to think that we are more than what we really are. Now, do you know who is amongst those who are tempted in such a way that it's about me serving? Who amongst us? Well, let me tell you. I am amongst those. That's why I need to remember this passage. It's why I need to be reminded of this passage. Very easy when we come to church and think, oh, it's about what we do, how we serve, what I have to offer God, what I have to offer the church, what I have to do to serve, to teach, to clean, whatever that might be. But we have to remember this lesson. It's why we need to be reminded of this passage. Before I do any serving, I'm one who is served first. And this is how it's impacted me over the years, so that I have the right perspective each and every week. There's a very short prayer I say each time I come to preach. Say quietly, only three words. You, not me. It's to remind me it's not about you, me. It's about God. Your greatness, not mine. Your glory, not mine. Your honor, not mine. You, not me. Not my service, it's about the service of Christ, what he's done for us. And it's a helpful reminder because then I'm reminded I'm merely a vessel, a tool in the hand of the master. It reframes how I think about my service. You see, being a Christian, going to church, is not about our service at all, at least primarily. Because God is quite capable of doing everything he needs He's quite capable to bring about his mission without any one of us. And so I remind myself often that I'm not dispensable. I'm indispensable. If I am not here, if you are not here, God will raise another. But God, in his wisdom, he uses people just like us to bring about the good works he has planned through us. But he does not depend on us. Which is helpful to remind us that God is not the 
tough taskmaster who is trying to work us to the ground so that we're all burnt out at the expense of any joy in the Lord, at the expense of any rest in the Lord. I mean, do you think John Payton, what he did, the sacrifices he made, do you think he did all of that because God was a tough taskmaster? Of course not. He served with his life because he knew deeply already that he is loved by the Lord and he counted it a privilege to serve the king. This was what he said, comparing himself and thinking about the world. Oh, that the pleasure-seeking men and women of the world could only taste and feel the real joy of those who know and love the true God, a heritage which the world cannot give to them, but which the poorest and humblest followers of Jesus inherit and enjoy. And so what do we need to remember? It's not about our service. What we offer God, he does not need us. But when he does, it's a privilege. I am served first before I do any serving. Any lifting of my finger, I am served first. And when I'm used by God, we need to remember it's a privilege. It's never a right. When we have new staff members or student ministers, like this past week we had a little induction, it, it was important for us to be reminded, your service is, is not a, it's not a right of yours. You get to serve here, behind there, anywhere. It's a privilege. Also, I do not serve out of duty. Because if you serve out of duty, where would that lead you? It will lead you to discontentment, lack of joy. We serve out of love for our Savior. I mean, Jesus would never want us to be motivated by guilt. Ever been serving because you've been guilted into it? Jesus would never want that. He would never want our service to get in the way of our love for him. And I serve not because I will earn anything from Jesus, any more of his love. I mean, how can Jesus love us anymore? He's already given us his life as a ransom for us. And I serve not because it's now payback time. He died for me, therefore I need to pay back somehow, as though we can pay back anything to God at all. Jesus came not to be served by us, but to serve us with his life. We get that right, our service will fall into place. We get that right first. And so let me ask you now that question I asked at the beginning. How many kinds of Christians are there? Well, there should only be one kind. The John Payton kind. He was, in fact, an ordinary Christian, but used by God in an extraordinary way. He was completely sold out for Jesus, as it should be for all Christians. I've spent a fair bit of time reflecting on him and his life, and that's partly because I found it so, so good for my own soul, and I hope for you too as well. Of course, it does not mean that we all have to pack our bags and become a John Payton and go overseas, though that would not be a bad thing for some of, some of us. God uses us differently. He has different purposes for each one of us. But at the very core, it has to be the same type of Christian. At the very heart, 
Why? We share the same faith. We share the same saviour. We've experienced the same love. What's important is that the heart is the same. And so this week I was reflecting what he managed to do and what Christians today in Surrey Hills managed to do. And it was challenging for me. While John Payton was putting his, life's, his family's life at risk, not just his own, to bring the gospel to those without hope, what were some of our concerns? What were the concerns that fill our hearts? And I wonder whether some of them are just so tiny, so small, so, so small, that from the perspective of eternity, looking back in 2024, and we reflected what worried us, we will be embarrassed to speak about it. He's gone to the South Seas, risked everything, and we're worried about tiny things. And I wonder when he was facing death because the natives had clubs and spears wanting to take his life. And then thinking about, well, what do we face? And I wonder whether the Christian response today is more about our desire for comfort and pleasure. And you think about what he did with his family for decades, living in relative poverty, translating the scriptures, caring for the sick, pouring out his life. And then you think about, well, what do we do today? Some of us, we manage to come to church weekly, but even when we're here, we're not often very wholehearted. I wonder if something is wrong, because our heart is meant to be the same. Same faith, same saviour, same love with experience. And we come to church and we think, I'm here to be served. And church better meets my standard. So what was it about John? Because shouldn't it be the same for us? Cross, not crown. Service, not status. And so my question to us then is, what will it look like for each one of us to be a part of this local body of Christ? We were encouraged to serve, Remember, we have to get the order right. I'm served first before I do any serving. Maybe I haven't yet, but I love this church. I love the people here. I haven't. Maybe it's, it's the day to begin. And that will be a good thing. And perhaps it's also worth asking ourselves, if I am serving the small task, the big task, the formal, the informal, the seen, the unseen task, am I doing it wholeheartedly? giving my best to the Lord, like that hymn we sang, whether I'm welcoming, reading the Bible, praying, doing the photocopying, organizing the rosters, serving morning tea. Do I actually give the best to the Lord? When I receive the roster reminder, do I think, oh, damn, I'm on again? Or do I receive it? With, oh, it's a, what a privilege. Is it a joy, a privilege, or is it not? Jesus has come not to be served by us, but to serve us. Does that shape our hearts? Will the love of Jesus and service of him, what will it look like? And I want us to hear this. It's not just when we're at church. When we're at church or in growth groups or youth group, it's only about 3% of our week. 3%. 
We don't want all your time to be invested in the 3%. You've got 97% of the rest of your week in service of our Lord because he served us first. And what may be the consequence? Well, consider John Payton's life and his service. Lots of fruit in what is today Vanuatu. Because of him, not just him, but many other missionaries, Vanuatu today is predominantly a Christian nation. 85% identify as Christians. So how many are genuine in, in the Lord's eyes and hearts? We don't know. But even the motto of Vanuatu is, Before God we stand. Remember, these were people who would kill each other and eat each other. And I'll end with this story. John Payton, missionary, Presbyterian minister, he came back to Melbourne. This was where he finished off his life, ended his life. He died, in fact, not too far from here, Canterbury. He's, he was, in fact, buried not too far from here as well, in the Kew Cemetery. 2017, strange day off for Yvonne and myself. We thought, let's go to the cemetery and find his tombstone. And we found it at the Kew Cemetery. And, and you look at the inscription and you read, Missionary to the New Hebrides. And the verse that he had on his tombstone is the very famous one we know from Matthew 28, down the bottom. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Why did he have that? Well, his son said, it's because his life was not about him at all. It was about him in his master's hand, making disciples, but always knowing that promise so precious to him, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. And so he chose the cross because Jesus was always with him. So let me ask you, what kind of Christian are you? Because there's only one type, one kind. The cross kind, the serving kind. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in our Saviour, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, He served us. He served us first and foremost. And so whatever service we offer, it's only out of response, out of love for Him, and we count it a deep privilege. And so use us, Lord, just as you have your servants of past. Use us for the glory of Christ, our King and Master. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.